The following story has been brought to you by storiestoinspire.org. Hello, my name is Rabbi Pesach Krohn, and I am so honored to have been invited by Rabbi Daniel Aguilar and Nassanel Epstein to introduce this wonderful program called My Favorite Stories to Inspire. Now, I am doing this presentation Lazech Nishmas, a wonderful person who I had this chus to know, Rab Tzvi Eliezer Moshe ben Aaron Yosef, and it should be a Rafua Shlema for Gitel Dina Bas Henyafreda. Daniel has a wonderful website that you should all go to. It's called storiestoinspire.org. If you go to that website, you will see hundreds and hundreds of stories. He's got maybe 2,000 already, stories on many, many, many different topics. Different people tell them, and it's there to inspire all of us in Klal Yisrael. And I'll tell you the truth. I am making this presentation here in my home, right in front of the picture of Rav Shalom Shvadron. You know why? He was the Maggot of Yerushalayim, and he was the master of taking a story and making sure that all of us would learn a lesson from it. It's not just the idea of the story. It's how we can become better Yidden, ben Adam Lamokim and ben Adam Lachaverei. And so therefore, what we are going to do in this program is that there are going to be many speakers throughout the world that are going to tell you their favorite story. And like this, you also will be able to feel that it's a great story and that it has something to teach all of us. And so... I would like to share with you a story that I heard recently, and it is so beautiful because it brings out in a beautiful way the godless, the greatness of what a Yid is and what we could become. Listen to this. The story was told to me by the woman herself to whom it happened. Now today, this woman, a from woman, she grew up from in Florida. Today, she's a dermatologist, a skin doctor, and has a family with children, Baruch Hashem. But this story happened 30 years ago. She was living in Florida with her parents, and her brothers and sisters had already moved to Eretz Yisrael. And now the parents decided they are going to make Aliyah. They too will move to Eretz Yisrael. So she didn't want to be living alone in Florida, so she decided she had a friend in New York and she was going to move in with a Froom friend in Manhattan and hopefully there she would continue her medical school and maybe get even a better job than she could get in Florida and hopefully find the Shidduch. And sure enough, she was in New York only two months and she met a young man who was learning in Lakewood and Beis and they went out and she became a Kala. And that's the one who she eventually married. But now this story takes place two weeks after her engagement. And what happened was she decided, you know what? I think it would be a very nice idea if I would go to Lakewood for Shabbos and I could spend Shabbos with my chassan. Now, this, is, this story happened 30 years ago before the internet. So you couldn't really just go online and get the bus schedule. Now, those of you from New York know that Port Authority or Penn Station is a very, very busy place. You could hardly even get them on the phone. So it took a while till she was able to find out the bus schedule and know exactly what bus she has to be at in order to get to Lakewood on time because by bus, it's almost a two-hour trip from Manhattan to Lakewood. So now, 
it's on Friday. And of course, because she grew up in Florida, she really didn't know the train system and never, she got lost a little bit getting to Port Authority. By the time she got there, it was pretty late. And she finally came to the booth where they're selling the tickets for the buses that are going to New Jersey and going to go to Lakewood. But that was the last bus that she could make. So she should get there on time. And then when she came to the booth, there were so many people there. How in the world was she going to get to the booth on time to get the ticket, to get to the bus on time? She's standing there wondering what in the world she's going to do. And all of a sudden, the from guy, she never saw this guy. He comes over to her. He says, excuse me, are you going to Lakewood? She says, yeah, I'm going to Lakewood. He says, well, here's a ticket. Get on the bus. She says, what do, what do you mean? Where did you get this ticket? He said, oh, that's an extra ticket. I've got my own ticket. She said, really? Yeah. And he takes out the ticket. And he shows her. He's got his own ticket. So she said to him, Where, where'd you get this extra ticket? He said, you know, I have children and grandchildren that live in Lakewood. Now, when I go for Shabbos, especially if I'm going on a very late bus, and this is really the last bus that we could make to get there on time, I always buy an extra ticket. Just in case. Just in case there's a yid like yourself online and they might not make it up to the booth on time. So I always have, I always buy an extra ticket and I, I, I could give it to the person online. She says, you do this every week? He says, no, I don't do this every week. I only do it on those weeks that I go late. If I'm going early at like 12, 1 o'clock, then it's no problem. So anybody who's, you know, on there, on the line will make it. She said, oh, I want to pay you. Thank you so much. He said, no, I wouldn't take money. She says, well, can I thank you? Who are you, Mr. Rabbi? What's your name? He says, my name is Greenwald, but you can call me Ronnie. That's what everybody calls me. Now, those of you out there who knew and heard of Ronnie Greenwald, you know that he was from the greatest Balichesed around. But even if you didn't know him, what an unbelievable thing to be able to do to buy an extra ticket just in case there's going to be a Yid that needs a ticket to go to Lakewood. That's what Chesed is all about. And that's what we learn from this great story. Not only to be thinking about yourself, but to be thinking about others. I would like to encourage once again all of you to go onto that website, storiestoinspire.org, and you will see, just as Rab Shalom did all the years, to tell stories, to inspire people, you will be inspired by the great stories that are right there for all of us. Thank you, Rabbi Krohn, for your words of inspiration. My name is Daniel Aguilar, and I'm the founder of Stories to Inspire. I'd like to thank Torani Time, Chazak, and the Talisman for partnering and collaborating together to bring you this incredible event. I believe that storytelling is the most powerful way to bring out the best in us. Which is the reason why, with Hashem's help several years ago, I created Stories to Inspire with the goal of sharing the most inspirational stories told over by today's foremost speakers with others. The stories can be accessed on our website, storiestoinspire.org. You can sign up to our daily broadcast, which is via WhatsApp and email. It is available on all, all podcasting platforms, including Naki Radio and more. Please visit our website, storiestoinspire.org, or send a message 
to 310-210-1205 for more information. Thank you for watching, and we hope you enjoy the rest of this amazing program. My name is Rob Yebo from the Chazak Organization, and uh, this is such a special program tonight, uh, jointly together, um, Stories to Inspire, Chazak, Torah Anytime, and, and the Talisman, and, um, and um, we want to remind everyone uh, before our next speaker, Rabbi Avi Weissenfeld, that this is going to be a, that this is going to be um, a three-part unbelievable event. Um, the next event is going to be Save the Date. Wednesday, March thirty first of which is which is on Cholamoy Pesach um, at at, um, at eight p.m. Wednesday, March thirty first at eight p.m. Um, it it will be um, the same um, um, time zones, whatever time zone you're watching in right now. Um, it's that same time, whatever was on the flyer, eight p.m. Eastern Standard Time, eight p.m. Pacific Standard Time, etc., etc., etc. Um, so March 31st, save the day, tell your friends, tell your family. That's definitely a great way to have a Simchas Yantiv and uh, Simchas Chalmoid, uh Wednesday, March 31st. And then the, the third part of the event is going to be on Sunday, March, uh, um, Sunday, April 11th, I meant. Sunday, um, April 11th at the same time, like just like tonight and just like on uh, March 31st. Um, April 11th will be the same amazing um, same amazing event we was just we're just new brand new speakers top rabbanim speakers and uh, the stories to inspire that's what we're here for that's what that's why this the, this this three part event is being created and our next amazing speaker is Rabbi Avi Weissenfeld well done to stories to inspire what an incredible achievement to thousand stories. That is absolutely unbelievable. And the truth is what they're doing is amazing because a story is a very powerful tool. My mashkech, Rav Nech always used to tell us that a story is the most important part of the share because the share sometimes, you know, people don't always remember, but the story they always remember. So what you guys are doing, what they are doing is absolutely incredible. They are taking stories and they're just Incredible website, they're giving it out to the world, people are using it, it is absolutely amazing. I want to tell you an incredible story, which I came across recently. The year was 1925, it was right before the war. And Reveli Lopian, that my grandfather was Zoycha to actually learn by in England, so Reveli Lopian was offered the position of the Rosh Hashiva in Eitz Chaim in London. So London at the time, 1925, was a spiritual wasteland. There was no real Torah going on in yeshivas like it is now. But Rebellion Lopian understood that this was his tough, his opportunity to sort of, I guess, give the Torah back and put the Ruchnias back into London at that time. So he took the position and it was an amazing, amazing thing what he accomplished at that time. He was a very, very sensitive person. He was very sensitive to the needs of others and he was real, real uh, invaluable uh, you know, piece of, you know, part of the furniture in England to in order to enable people to survive over there. Now, there was a woman who lived very close by who was a widow and she'd lost her husband and she had a bunch of young children who were orphans. And she used to come in from time to time to ask questions, to reveal it to the Rebbe, what do I do, different direction, halacha is whatever it may be. And uh, she, Rebbe Lopin always gave instructions to his family, make sure when this woman comes in, 
she comes right to the front, she can bring us straight into my room. I don't care if in the middle of Shaila, I don't care if in the middle of a communal meeting with all the rabbis, she gets present, she is an almona, her children are Yusoyimim, we have to look after her. And therefore, bring her in whatever the situation may be. And then all of a sudden, uh, at one point, the Nazi war machine started to make its way against London during World War II, famously. And it became a time of a very, very difficult and challenging time for all of Kalali Swana, especially for those people that were in London at the time. They didn't know what to do. The bombs were going all over the place. They didn't know, is it going to be safe to go? Is it going to be safe to leave? And at one point, this woman knocks on the Revelle Lapian's door. And she gets ushered right in as the minig in the house. And she starts to tell Rebelli Lopian her question. There is a ship. This ship is leaving to South Africa. It might very well be the very last ship that is leaving from London to South Africa. It's dangerous in London. Nobody knows what's going to be, what's going to happen. South Africa is supposed to be a little bit of an easier place. Should she or should she not go with her family, her young little children, to South Africa and save herself from what may be happening in London. And Rivelli Lapian, who was known to have a very penetrating look and gaze and answer all the questions that were in front of him without any problem whatsoever, for some reason, very, very unusual and rare for him, didn't answer. He looked up and he says, I- I'm really sorry right now, I-, I-, I just can't think straight with your question. Could you please come back later? She thought that was unusual. I've got a couple more days till the boat leaves. I guess I can come back. She came back three more times that day. And she was always pushed off. I don't have time. I can't listen right now. She came back the next day five times. And each time she came, Revelle Lopian says, I can't answer you. I'm busy right now. I can't speak. She didn't know what to do. She decided that without Revelle Lopian's haskoma, without the psak, she's not going to go. She's not going to go. Das Torah is what rules my life. If he's not telling me what to do, I'm not going she found out after two days after the boat left the dock that the, uh, there were a bunch of Nazi plane, uh, train, uh, tra- boats that went nearby over there. And they basically shot down this whole boat and it sunk. And everybody uh, died in that uh, boat over there. And there were no survivors. She eventually made her way to her. They actually went to South Africa first. And she was able to have a child with Moshe Stambach. This was Rebetzin Sternbach, and her child was Moshe Sternbach, the uh, Gaivid of Yerushalayim, but that's Edis Chavedis. Why did they survive? Because of Das Torah. When a person gives himself over to Das Torah, to Rabbonim, to Gedolim, to Manhigim, to Tzadikim, so everything in his life is going to be in the correct way. She didn't hear an answer from her Rebbe, she's not going to do anything about it. Even if she didn't understand, and even if it made no sense to her. That's Torah, that's Torah. I think it's an incredible story that very much demonstrates what we have to give over in our own lives to so much that we do, the questions that we have, the fakers that we have, we have to remember we have Das Torah. Have a wonderful day. Thank you, Rabbi Weisenfeld, for your tremendous story and lesson. Our next speaker is Rabbi Uri Lati from Brooklyn, New York. Um, Rabbi Uri Lati. I'd like to congratulate Stories to Inspire on reaching the milestone of 2,000 stories. What a wonderful accomplishment. It's my humble and berkat hadyot beracha that they should continue inspiring and mehazek am Yisrael lema'la lema'la ad bi'ad mashiach satkenu amen. I'd like to share with you a story that I came across, a fascinating story that will hopefully bring us into the spirit of Pesach. We all know about the Taz, the famous commentary on the Shulhar Rabbi David Halevi Segal, 
Now he was a Rav in Western Poland and he saw that it, well, he wasn't really cut out for the rabbinate so he moved to Eastern Poland. He said, I'll be over there, nobody will know who I am, I'll sit down, I'll learn Torah and I'll grow. When he got to Eastern Poland, a few weeks, somebody came across to him and he said, Rabbeinu. So it turns out that he knew him. He knew who he was exactly. So the Taz told him, please, swear to me in secrecy that you won't reveal who I am. I don't want anybody to know who I am. I want to sit down, no headaches. I don't want to be a Rav. I want to sit down and learn Torah. Okay, so the student, uh, he swore to him. Time went by and the Taz was sitting and learning Torah, but he saw that he needed funds, he needed money. So he decided to work in a slaughterhouse, skinning and cutting meat. And when he was there, the people came in with their certain, uh, certain pieces of chicken, certain different uh, meats for the rub over there of the town to inspect them to see if they're kosher or not. So the rub of the town, it was his way to say everything is asur, everything, everything that had a little, you know, hashash, whether it's kasher or not kasher, he would say everything's asur. You know, the easy way out, why not? He doesn't want to get into the, into the headaches. The Taz really bothered the Taz. I mean, he saw the pieces of chicken that were there and he knew that it was kosher. Why is the Rav of the town saying everything's asur? So the Taz would pass him to Halakha by himself. People would come before going to the Rav. The Taz would look at the piece of chicken because he worked in the slaughterhouse. He knew. He would say, don't worry, this is kosher. Word got back to the Rav of the town and he was very upset. He ended up putting the Taz in Kherim in excommunication. Nobody was allowed to talk to him. Nobody was allowed to invite him to their parties. Nobody was allowed to invite him to the Sefer Torah. He was put in excommunication. And where was he to sit the whole time? Outside the slaughterhouse. That was his place. He would sit, be sitting outside of the slaughterhouse. Now don't forget, nobody knew who the Taz was. There were no pictures back then. There were no telegrams back then. No social media back then. So really nobody knew who the Taz was. He's sitting there for weeks, weeks on end, outside the slaughterhouse, in excommunication. One day, a little girl came to the slaughterhouse, and she had a piece of chicken. She wanted to show the rub of the town. She went to the rub of the town, and the rub, as usual, as was his custom, he said, no, this piece of chicken is asur. And she left the rub's house, or where the rub was, she left crying. The Taz, he called the little girl, he said, what's the matter, what's wrong? She said, because... The rub of the town said my piece of chicken is asur. Now, and the, this is the only piece of chicken that I found to bring to my family. And we have nothing for the holiday. What are we going to eat? The Taz said, let me see that piece of chicken. He took the piece of chicken and he said, it's kosher. She said, what do you mean? The Rav said, he said, don't worry, I'm telling you it's kosher. The Taz says, go to the Rav and tell him to look in Yoredea Siman Pe, and he'll see that the chicken is kosher. He'll see the Simanim, the chicken is kosher. So the little girl, she goes to the rub of the town and she says, look at Yoredeha Siman Pe, and look what the Taz says over there. So now the Rav says, the Taz? What do you know about the Taz? Who told you about this Taz? She said, the man sitting outside, outside, outside of the slaughterhouse. He goes, the Rav is furious. He goes outside, he said, didn't I tell you not to pass in Halakha? Didn't I tell you, now how do you even know the Taz? He goes, because I am the Taz. The Rav said, What? Yeah, the Taz, unbelievable. And of course, they gave him the honor that he deserved. Now, this student that weeks before the Taz saw him and he told him, swear to me in secrecy, you won't reveal my true identity. He comes to the Taz and he says, I thought you told me not to reveal your identity. 
And the whole time, you're not telling anybody who you are. And now all of a sudden, everybody knows you, the Taz. What happened all of a sudden? So the Taz looked at him and he said, the whole time I didn't want anybody to know my identity. I tried to be in secrecy. I tried to be humble. Nobody knew who I am. But when I saw the tears of the little girl, I couldn't contain myself anymore. I saw the pain, the anguish. How can a family be without any chicken, without any food for the holiday? So I took all the respect that I wanted from myself as if not, for nobody to know who I am and I couldn't bear it anymore. I said, I have to reveal who I am for the tears that were flowing down the eyes, flowing down from the cheeks, rolling down the cheeks of this little girl. I couldn't take it anymore. This is the story. Rabbata, everybody can understand the story in a certain way, in a different way. Everybody with their own mahalach. But I think what we can learn from the story is Pesach is coming upon us. It's the holiday of Hirut, of freedom. But how can we have real freedom if we know that there are people suffering in Am Yisrael? People that don't have any food to put on the table. People that don't even have wine for the Arba Kosot. Matzah. Let alone the kazetot that they have, that they need. Matzah, the bare minimum they don't even have. How can we enjoy our holiday knowing that people can't enjoy theirs? People that, knowing that there's people in suffering, in anguish, in pain. That's not real freedom. Real freedom is when everybody's happy. Real freedom is when everybody's able to enjoy the holiday. So maybe what we can learn from the story is to remember that we sometimes, not only sometimes, all the time, we have to see the pain in Ami Yisrael feel as if their pain is our pain. And that's the only way we can all come together like, like Yasi'at Misraim. In Yasi'at Misraim, they were all together. There was all peace and love and everybody came together in Yasi'at Misraim. And if we want Yasi'at Misraim in our time, we have to feel the pain and suffering in Am Yisrael, the plight of our brothers. Moshe Rabbeinu says, You saw the pain and plight of his brothers. He couldn't stay in the palace. He couldn't stay in his luxury when there were people suffering out there. That's what I think we can learn from the story. We could put all our kabod on the side, put all our humbleness on the side, put everything that we have, our, our ideologies, put them all on the side. If there's anybody suffering, we have to do our utmost to help them. And only then can we all have Ba'azat Hashem, Ahaqqa Shilvesameya. Thank you, Rabbi Lati, for your tremendous story and lesson. We really appreciate all you do for the Jewish people. Our next speaker is Rabbi Avram Stuhlberger. We want to remind everyone to, um, to, 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 to not only should you watch right now, but you should tell your friends to, ju- to jump on board and, 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 and hop on to this amazing event, toranytime.com slash live, toranytime.com slash live, or you can call in at at 718-298-2077, extension 46, or whatever the phone numbers are on tour anytime for uh, whether it's Israel, the UK, Canada, wherever you're watching from. Um, you could call in the numbers, but for um, the United States of America, USA, 718-298-2077, extension 46, is our great honor to call upon Rabbi Stuhlberger. I would like to take this special opportunity to congratulate Stories to Inspire. Uh, 2,000 stories is an incredible, incredible amount and uh, indicates an incredible influence of the 
so many people that listen to it every single day. I personally want to express a Kars HaTov to them. I get my two stories every morning, and it changes my day. And it, it really, it's an instant, uh, quick injection of, of, of Ashpah, of, of, of Ruchnius, of inspiration. And Bez Hashem, thank you so much. And uh, Stories to Inspire just continue their incredible work, Bez Hashem, reaching more and more people and uh, bringing Kiddush Shemayim to an even higher level. Just wanted to share really one of my favorite stories. And it's a story that has many different dimensions to it. Uh, people look at the story and they see incredible Ashkach Pratis. People hear the story and they learn from it that no matter how bleak the situation is, you can never give up hope. And that's certainly true. For me, the story is about Simcha. For me, the story is that true joy has nothing to do with your surroundings, with your gifts, physical, materialistic gifts, true joy has to do with the relationship with HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And certainly during other time, getting ready for Purim, this I think is a very profound message of what, of what true simcha is all about. And it's a story about 50 teenage boys who are taken by the Nazis in the fall of 1944. They were taken to a particular concentration camp where the commandant of that particular camp did not follow the conventional rules of saving the 16-year-old boys or girls and above for work. This commandant said, if you're 18, you, get, you can get saved. Under 18, you go to the gas chambers. So they went to the gas chambers. They went inside, whatever the procedure was, in this dark room that basically was their entryway into the last minutes of their life, stripped of all their clothing, and as they're waiting to, to have that poisonous gas come into the room, one of the boys screamed out to the rest of them. He says, wait a minute. What is tonight? What would we be doing if we'd be back in Hungary tonight? And, they, and he said, it's Simcha's Torah tonight. And just because we're here, and while we have no Sefer Torah to, to dance, dance with, we have no Chumash, and we have no Sidurim, but we are with HaKadosh Baruch Hu, always, and we will be connected to him even more intimately in just a few minutes. So why should those Nazis, Yemach win? We are going to go to eternity. We're waiting to, to die up in Kiddush Hashem. They're going to go to eternal Gehenna. We shouldn't dance. Let's dance with HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And he started breaking out into an incredible song, a song that many of us do sing still, till today, during the Hakafas of, of Simchas Torah. They were singing how fortunate they are. To stop and to reflect and to think that in this kind of a moment, 50 teenagers, 50, 16-year-old boys have the clarity and the vision to dance with such a connection to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Halavai. I certainly feel that way, Halavai, that I, I should find a moment where I can even begin to grasp the, the level of that kind of simcha, of being able to, to know you have a few minutes left to live and yet you're dancing because you're connected to HaKadosh Baruch Hu and you know that where you're going is going to be a, a special place that we are spending our entire lives here working towards, Olam Abba, of course, in Ganeidin. The amazing end of the story, the commandant walks by, there's some kind of technical issue with the gas, and the gas it doesn't seem to be flowing, and he hears the singing, he says, what's going on? He says, I don't know, the guy says, I don't know what's going on. 
says, what do you mean? They, they, no, you can't. No one's going to sing and die under my watch. That's not acceptable. You get those boys out of here, and I'm going to kill them personally. Each one, I will torture myself and kill tomorrow morning. So get them back in the barracks. And sure enough, before he can come back to the barracks the next morning, a neighboring commandant of a higher stature came by. I need workers, I need workers. He saw these 50 boys, took them all out. Every single one of them survived the war. All of them had an incredible Yeshua. And that's why this is such a well-known story, because there are 50 people able to talk about it. This really gives us an incredible sense of what true joy is about. What's it rooted in? It's rooted in the connection with HaKadosh Baruch Hu. It's rooted in the sense of who we are and the, the eternity that is really ours if we Bez Hashem do the mitzvahs and connect properly to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Let's take the story to heart. Let's have a feilich And again, thank you so much to stories to inspire. They should go and continue to inspire so many more Jews around them. Have a good day. Thank you, Rabbi Stolberger, for your unbelievable words of inspiration. Our next speaker is Rabbi Mordechai Becher. Rabbi Becher is a tremendous speaker, and we all have heard of his unbelievable drushas, speeches, stories. It's an honor to call upon Rabbi Becher. In the early 1980s, I was learning in Yeshivas Mishkan HaToyra, which was in Unsdorf in Yerushalayim, one of the seven dwarfs. Anyway, I uh, was walking out of the yeshiva and I needed to get a taxi somewhere. So I hailed a taxi, got in. Taxi driver uh, asked me where I'm going. I tell him, he looks at me and he says, Talomedpo, uh, do you learn here? I said, Ken, yeah. yeah. He says, Ezo Shi'ur, whose class are you in? Who's Shi'ur? I thought to myself, how would he even know? So I said, Harav uh, Moshe Shapira. I mean, the Shear of Ramosha Shapira, Shapira, my Rebbe Oliver Shalom. So uh, he says, uh huh. He says, because of Ramosha Shapira, I keep Shabbat. I said, tell me what, what happened? He says, yeah. He says, I live on, uh, in Bayat Vagan. And uh, he says, uh, I live right near of Moshe Shapira, Rehova Pisgah, I think it was. And he says, uh, the taxi driver says, one day, he'd, just after he'd moved in, he says, uh, I was going to work. It was about eight o'clock in the morning. I was about to head to work. It was raining. It was terrible weather. And I see this distinguished looking Rav in a hurry. So I opened the door. I said, Ani Shachen, I'm your neighbor. Baruch Abba, welcome to the neighborhood. He said, I'll give you a ride. I'll give the Rav a ride wherever you want to go. Bechinam, free. So, you know, nice gesture to a new neighbor. So the taxi driver tells me, so Rav Moshe gets into the taxi. He says, I've got the key in my hand. He says, the rabbi puts his hand on my hand with the key in it. He looks at me in the eyes and he asks me, Atalon ken? He says, you don't travel on Shabbat, do you? So the taxi driver says, well, I did drive on Shabbat. I did drive on Shabbat, but I looked into his eyes and I couldn't say yes. I, I just, I looked into it, I couldn't say yes. I, I, he says, on the other hand, he says, I'm not a liar. So I couldn't say no. So I said, so what did you do? He says, nishbati. He says, at that moment, I swore to myself that I would never again drive on Shabbos.
And he says, I looked into the rabbi's eyes and I said, Lo, no, I do not travel on Shabbat. He says, I said that honestly. And since then, I did not drive on Shabbat. Incredible story. I would not recommend trying this because you'll probably end up with the key somewhere in the vicinity of your nose. However, I think what this driver saw was that in the eyes of Ramosha Shapiro was not accusation, was not hatred, but rather was love and concern. And that's why he couldn't look into his eyes and say, yes, I drive on Shabbos. But how beautiful is it? Here he is. He's not going to tell a lie. So he's not going to say, I don't. So he solved the problem by swearing that he would never again drive on Shabbos. And indeed, indeed, he did not. Amazing story. I did not hear it from Ramosha Shapiro. I heard it from the taxi driver who told it to me in Unsdorf in Yerushalayim in the early 1980s. Thank you, Rabbi Becher, for your tremendous words. Our next speaker is Rabbi Shmuel Reichman. Rabbi, Rabbi Reichman's his stories, his chizuk, his articles in so many different various Jewish publications are really world-renowned. Is our article upon Rabbi Shmuel Reichman. So I want to start by giving a huge mazel tov to stories to inspire. That's a major, major accomplishment. And I want to give a huge ashrakach to Chazak on all the incredible things they do for Klai And when it comes to stories for me personally, it, it's very clear that ideas are powerful. But stories are inspiring. They touch the emotions. They allow ideas to become something that people can relate to. And that's why, for me, stories to inspire really embodies that idea. But I want to share a story that, for me, really changed my life. And it really, it changed my vantage point on a very important Nakuda. And the story goes like this. There, were, there was a chavra that was in class. They went, to, they went to Shir one day. It was their first day of Shir. And this very elderly gentleman, must have been in his 80s or 90s, walked into the Shir room. And everyone was looking around saying, is this our Rebbe? Is this, you know, is, who is this guy? And he walked straight past the front desk, went to, you know, the end of the classroom and just sat down on one of the chairs. And the Rebbe then came in a couple minutes later, gave Shear. And at the end of Shear, one of the boys went over to this elderly gentleman and said, what's the, what's your story? You know, where are you from? You look a little old to be in this chair. You know, most of these Bachram are in their 20s, early 20s. What's your story? So the elderly gentleman smiled and said, I'll be honest with you. I really haven't learned much in my life. I really spent most of my life doing other things. And about 20 years ago, I realized that I was was throwing away my life. And I decided that I want to start learning. But I was already, you know, I was already like 60 years old, 70 years old. And I said, it's too late for me. It's too late. But a couple weeks ago, I just turned 87, and I, I said, I don't have much more time here in this world. I, I'm going to, I've always wanted to learn. I've always wanted to learn a little Gemara. I've always wanted to strike a little. I've never really done it, and I've decided to commit myself to doing it. So here I am, and I'm going to give it a go. And over the next couple months, this person's name, we'll call him Maishi, Maishi became the most popular person in Shia. Everyone loved Maishi. He was, you know, always had 
brilliant wisdom to share. Everyone loved him. He always smiles, always positive. He was always, you know, stagging away, asking good questions, really giving his all to share. And over the course of that year, Moshe became, you know, people didn't call him Alkum Moshe, but, but, but Moshe became, you know, the, the grandfather of the shir, so to speak, the, 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 the grandfather figure of the shir. And it was truly an extraordinary experience. He was not only inspired by the Chavra, by the Bachram and all their learning and striking, but he was also inspiring to them. People saw just how much he wanted to grow, just how much he wanted to learn. And at the end of the year, there was a dinner for the Bachram, and they asked Moshe if he was willing to speak. So Moshe got up to speak. And he was fumbling through his notes, and he, you know, nervously said, "You know, I've, I've never really spoken in public before." But he said, "You know, I'm going to forget these notes. I'm going to forget, forget these note cards. I'm just going to share a story from the heart." A couple months ago, well, at this point it was about a year ago. About a year ago, I decided that I'm going to actually commit to this and going to learn. And what changed everything for me? What inspired me? was I heard someone speak. And they said, you know what the wealthiest place in the universe is? The wealthiest place is not the diamond mines, it's not the banks. The wealthiest place in the universe is the graveyard. Because in the graveyard you'll find dreams never chased after, ideas never acted upon, endless potential that could have been real, but isn't. Business ideas, books that could have been written, ideas, endless potential. All this creativity, all this amazing, amazing potential, it's stuck within all of us human beings, but we don't actualize it. But there are a few people who do, and those people serve as an inspiration for everyone else. And I sat there, listening to the speech, I was 87 years old, 86 years old at the time, and I just couldn't help but think, is it really too late for me? Is my potential going to the graveyard? I said, no, it's not. And that day, I signed up to join this year. And obviously, everyone there was inspired. But it was only just a couple months later that Maishi passed away. And everyone went to his Levaya, and at the Levaya, all the students could not help but think that the graveyard is a little less richer today. Because Maishi didn't bring his potential, his dreams to the graveyard. He made them real. And for me, that, that just shifted so much. Because you don't even have to wait till you're 86, 87 years old to think it's too late. So many people, they have these dreams, these ideas, things they want to do with their life. But we always tell ourselves, now I'll do it one day, I'll do it then. But we let so much of life slip away. And what I think we can all take away from this is the power of acting on inspiration. Because stories to inspire really gives us this foundation of constant inspiration. But inspiration itself is worthless unless you act on it. So the moment you get inspired, make it real, concretize it, make a commitment. You get inspired to learn more, make a chavrusa. You get inspired to eat healthy, get someone who you're going to exercise with, get an exercise partner, start, you know, make something, start exercising right now, get a membership to a gym. Don't let inspiration become just an ends in itself. Make inspiration real. And for me, that is the most inspiring story, the story of life, a life of inspiration actualized.
Thank you, Rabbi Reichman, for your tremendous words. Our next speaker is Mr. Mo Mernick. He's, his videos, they're going viral. They're going everywhere. His speeches, everyone gets inspired from. It's our honor to call upon Mr. Mo Mernick. It was the Shabbos before my wedding. I was about to get married to Melanie, and I was really excited. But there was one thing that made me super nervous. Actually, I was kind of freaking out, like that nervous. What was it? Let's back up a little bit. Growing up, I had a debilitating stutter. I really couldn't speak that much. I stuttered a lot and I was laughed at as a kid and it was really difficult. I went through about 10 years of speech therapy and all different kinds of speech therapy to try to help my speech. Things helped a little bit and what I developed a lot was a certain sense of being able to word switch which meant that if certain words come up that I know that I'm going to stutter on, so I can circumvent that word. I could change the word, use a synonym, say a different sentence instead. And by the way, that's how I do these videos. It's what I'm doing in this video. I do it all the time. When I'm speaking English, I can word switch. But where can I not word switch? Where can't I change words? Think about an aliyah at the Torah. Baruch Hashem HaMorah. I can't change any of those words. Now again, just to bring you into my mind, when I get an aliyah or throughout my teenage years, I often used to avoid aliyahs because I was too nervous to stutter. And even now, I often, it's so interesting, I can give a speech in front of hundreds of people and not stutter once, but an aliyah at the Torah at a small shul, I might stutter a lot. Just fascinating. So that Shabbos, right before my wedding, I was really nervous. Again, I'm I'm okay to stutter. I appreciate it. I recognize it. It's a part of who I am. But that Shabbos, there was going to be a lot of people and the future family and everybody and everything. And it was going to be a big party. And I just wasn't in the mood for a full-blown stuttering episode with the spotlight on me. I didn't want there to be that chaos and that scene at the shul. But it was my afraf. And I wasn't going to avoid it. I was going to get up for that aliyah. Yeah, more. They call me up. The big sing song, Moshe. And I come up. I wrap the talus over my head. And I remember walking up to the Torah. My hands were shaking. Palms sweaty. I'm walking towards the Torah. And the Balkore nonchalantly shows me those first six words where he's about to start from. It was Parshas Chukas. Maftir, feel free to take a look for yourself. Those six words that he showed me blew my mind. They rocked my world. And I think about them all the time. The following were the six words that were basically like my biggest nevuah that I've ever had. Here they are. Vayomer Hashem El Moshe. Hashem said to Moshe, my name is Mo, my real name, Moshe. I have one Hebrew name. It's Moshe. Parenthetically, Moshe Rabbeinu also had a speech impediment. Maybe a stutter, right? Okay, not for right now. My name is Moshe. The first four words, Vayomer Hashem El Moshe. The next two words, Al-Tira, do not fear! Hashem was telling me right before my wedding, don't have fear. I'm here with you. I care about you. I love you. I gave this stutter to you. It's there for a reason. Don't back down on life. Get up there. Make it happen. And don't fear. Don't fear. When do we fear? When are we nervous? When we feel like we're alone. If we feel like Hashem is there with us, there's no reason to be afraid. Al-Tira, don't have any fear. Think about it. The challenges that we have. Think about having a personal trainer. Right? They push us hard. They push us really hard. We sweat and, they, and it hurts. 
but we pay these personal trainers because we know that it's helping us become healthier and more fit. If we only recognize that God is like our personal trainer, physically, emotionally, spiritually, he's helping us in this world and the next world, then we would have this incredible paradigm shift around all this all the challenges that we have in our lives. We'd be able to find so much more meaning and purpose recognizing they're all there for a difference. They're all there to help me. This is truly a story to inspire because it's not about me. Vayomer Hashem El Moshe was my name, but insert your name into this story. God is telling all of us, don't fear. I'm here with you and I love you. And the challenges that I give you this year, we've all had challenges. It's been a really difficult year for every single one of us in different kinds of ways. I'm here with you. I love you. Al tira. Do not fear. All this is truly there for a purpose. May we be blessed to truly incorporate and recognize this message and thereby lead so much more meaningful and happy and more connected to Hashem lives as a result. Mr. Murnick, for your tremendous words. Our next speaker is Rabbi Shlomo Landau. Rabbi Landau is a tremendous speaker and his stories and his inspiration and his and his great work that he does for Jewish people is it definitely doesn't it definitely goes noticed. Everyone knows his tremendous work. Rabbi Landau. A tremendous Yashakayach to Jewish stories to inspire for the opportunity to share this beautiful and magnificent story. The year was nineteen forty, and the dark clouds of World War II were already hovering over Eastern Europe. Yet even amongst the darkness, there was one ray of light, and that was the engagement of Schneer Cutler, the young son of Rabbi Aaron Cutler, the amazing, prolific Rosh Hashiva, to Rishel, the daughter of Rabbi Ari Malkiel, and Sari Yehudas Friedman, a beautiful, very Tyridika family. And those that were part of the Eilam HaTayra celebrated this amazing Shidduch. But sadly, before they had a chance to get married, the full fury of World War II broke out, and they had to flee for their lives. Young Schneer Cutler was more fortunate. He was able to escape to Eretz Yisrael, where he spent the duration of the war with his grandfather, Rabbi Sir Zalman Meltzer, learning in his yeshiva. But his Kala Rishel didn't fare as well, and she was forced to escape all the way across Europe, where she eventually ended up in Shanghai after an arduous and very challenging journey. For the next few years, she suffered greatly in Shanghai. And sadly, she contracted tuberculosis, a horrible illness, which took a ravaging toll on her and almost took her life. By the time she recovered, she was a shadow of her former self. She looked years, maybe decades older. And the doctors were not confident that she would ever have the opportunity to be a mother. And then six years later, the war was over. And Rishel made her way to the United States. And Schneer Cutler left Eretz Yisrael to come to join his family as well in the United States of America. But before the young couple was reunited, Rishel reached out to her chassan. And she shared with him her current situation. I'm not the person you got engaged to, she said. Physically, I look so much older. I'm not in great health as well. I don't have... Sadly, my family, her parents were killed, her family was lost in the war, so that special family is no longer in existence. And the most importantly, the doctors are not confident that I'll ever have children. I fully understand, she said, if you'd like to break the engagement, 
you don't have any obligation to marry me. When Schneier heard this, he couldn't, couldn't come to terms. He says, what do you mean? I'm not marrying you for, the, for anything besides the special person that you were and you still are. And in terms of having children, only the Rabbi Nishalalim holds the key to offspring, to children. Let's get married in the Mitzvah Shem HaKadosh Baruch Hu will help us. And not long after, the wedding took place in Lakewood in one of the hotels. Right before the chuppah, Rabbi Aaron Cutler calls his son Schneer over and he says, Schneer, we need to talk for a moment. He says, me and Mama are not going to accompany you down the chuppah. We're going to have a relative that's going to walk you down. Schneer looked at his father in perplexion. What do you mean? That's the only way I want it. I want to have my father and my mother on either side walking me down the chuppah. You know how many times I dreamed of this moment. Why? And listen to what Rabbi Aaron Cutler said. It's a life-changing lesson. He says, I was thinking, what's going to happen by your chuppah? You're going to walk down the chuppah together with me and together with Mama. We're going to stand under the chuppah. And then the doors to the chuppah room are going to open and the Kala Rishula is going to stand there, flanked on either side by perhaps a distant relative or friend. And she'll look up and she'll see her chasen with his father and his mother by the chasen by the wedding. And just for a millisecond, she'll have a pang of anguish, a little bit of emotional pain. Ay, he's so lucky he has his parents by the chasana. What would I give to have my parents? And I'm sure that as soon as that moment of anguish comes, it'll disappear because she'll realize how special it is that she's marrying you. But he says on this special day, the day of her happiness, the day of her joy after everything she's been through, I don't want to cause her even a millisecond of emotional pain. And therefore, if it's okay, somebody else will walk you down. Schneier agreed. The chasana happened. But who knows, if it was that mesiris nefesh, that sensitivity to another person, that was the catalyst for the incredible Hatzlacha that Reb Schneir Cutler and his special Rebbitz and Rishel would eventually have. They built a stunning Tayyadika home with eight children, amongst them the current Lakewood Rosh Hashiva Reb Malkio, the amazing Baal Chesed and Askin Reb Aaron Cutler, their son-in-law Reb David Shustel, and children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren who are literally impacting the Torah world in Kalal Yisrael. Their first step was through godless and sensitivity to others. And the Rabbeinu Shalaylam paid them back, Kefel Keflaim, so many times over. Let's take this story to heart. We all want Hatzlacha. We all want success. The secret sauce, the formula, is to take other people's emotions and their feelings into our mind. And Be'ezer Hashem, the Rabbeinu Shalom will reward us with amazing and incredible success. Thank you, Rabbi Landau, for your tremendous words. Our next speaker is, 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 is Rabbi Yaakov Rachimi. Rabbi Rachimi's his, his daily doses, his meaningful minutes, his tremendous words, his shiurim. They're literally, people are sending us emails. They want to hear more from him. They want, they, 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 um, they, people are emailing him questions. There's so many different programs he's involved with. He's very involved with Chazak, Guitar Anytime, and a lot of different amazing organizations, MBJX, etc. Rabbi Rachimi. Thank you so much, Stories to Inspire, our beautiful organization, for this opportunity to join this unbelievable event that you're making. I've heard about Stories to Inspire for so long, about the beautiful stories that you sent around, inspiring the world. Thank you so much for giving me the opportunity to share one of my favorite stories. I'm going to say it very quickly. One of my favorite, favorite touching stories I have is about our great leader, Chacham Ovadi Yosef. Zechat Tzedik V'Kadosh Levacha. 
Chacham Avad Yosef, I heard the story from his student. His name is Rabbi Maxi Sutton, who's a big Dayan in a Kolel in Yechavedat in Yerushalayim. Big yeshiva called Yechavedat in Yerushalayim. And I heard this story in Lakewood from Rabbi Maxi Sutton. He said that he once was at Chacham Avad Yosef's house at night, late at night. And he was learning as usual and learning and learning. Someone knocks on the door. Who is it? It's a widow, an almana. And Almanah holding a few bags of produce of tomatoes and cucumbers and onions and potatoes. Chamavadia goes to the door and he starts talking to this Almanah, to this widow. And she starts telling him all her tsarot, all the anguish that she has and all the tsar, all the pain that she's going through being Almanah. And Chamavadia is there talking to her and answering her questions. And then it says, Maxi saw, and then he sees Chacham Avadia do something very unusual. And he was shocked when he saw his Rebbe do this, the great leader of the generation, that the whole world was waiting to talk to Chacham Avadia Yosef. Chacham Avadia turned to this Almanah, to the widow, and he starts asking her, tell me, how much the tomatoes these days in the shuk, in the market? How much the potatoes? How much of the onions? Which store did you get it from? Do you know if you get it from there? It might be cheaper. Do you know if you go around and you tell them if I buy a, a bunch of bananas in one shot, maybe I'll make it cheaper? Chacham Avad Yosef, the great leader, the 24-7, 24-7 learned Torah, spent extra minutes talking to this widow about tomatoes and potatoes and onions. And whoever knows how busy Chacham Avad Yosef was will be shocked from such a tremendous, tremendous story over here. Chacham Avad Yosef literally went out of his way and spent an extra few minutes to speak to this widow about anything, about tomatoes, whatever it is to make her feel good, whatever it is to calm her down and make this almanah be happier. That was our great leader, Chacham Avad Yosef. And after Rabbi Maxi Sutton saw this, and after Chacham Avad closed the door, his student ran to him to kiss his hand out of shock as of what he just saw. Chacham Avad pulled his hand out and he says, Bitul Torah, there's no time to kiss my hand, let's go straight into learning. What a tremendous story, Rabbi to learn from this, including myself. How much we need to go out of our way to make another Jew happy. If the great leader, Chacham Avad that was so busy learning Torah 24-7, hardly ate and hardly drank, many, 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 many nights, didn't even sleep, as all the stories say, excluding his wife. Over here, Chacham Vadya went and he spoke to this lady to make her feel good. So how much more so us, that we have to go out of our way and always try to make somebody else feel good, say good words, encouragement, inspiration, chizuk, always rise their spirits and the Shema up and make them happy. Let's always go out of our way to make sure to say a good word and definitely, definitely, not chasashlo, make fun and put down. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you, story, Stories to Inspire. And thank you, Chazak and Torah, anytime. Thank you, Rabbi Rahimi, for your words of inspiration. Our next speaker is Mr. Harry Rothenberg. Mr. Rothenberg's, uh, Mr. Harry Rothenberg's, his videos, his weekly Parsha videos, they literally go viral every single week. If, 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 you're, if, you, if you just look around just a little bit, well, on, on social media, on Torah Anytime, wherever it is, you've seen his videos. Now you'll see him for stories to inspire. Well, Harry Rothenberg. Hi, I'm Harry Rothenberg, and I'd like to thank Stories to Inspire and Chazak and Torah Anytime for the opportunity to share with you this story. Many years ago, the Lubavitcher Rebbe sent two young shluchim, emissaries, to Alaska to go meet and greet Jews there to to Kirov, to introduce them to Judaism and Jewish concepts. And so they went from city to city, not just to the cities in Alaska that you may have heard of, like Nome or Anchorage, but also to way out cities like Elk Antler and Moose Pupik. All right, I may have made up at least one of those. 
but they went into one of these cities that you never heard of. Population, I don't know, 837. They walked in to see the mayor. He didn't need an appointment. The mayor in a city that small was also the fire chief and the police sergeant, the school principal. And they said, hi, we're two young rabbis from New York, and we're here to meet and say hello to the Jews in your city, in your town. And the mayor laughed and he said, I'd love to introduce you, but we don't have any Jews in our town. And they said, okay, thank you very much for your time. We'll go to the next town. He said, wait a minute, you're two rabbis? Why don't you come to the schoolhouse and do a short talk about ethics? I think the students would like that. And they said, sure. So they went to the schoolhouse, did a short talk about ethics. And when they were finished, they said to the school children, have any of you before today ever met another Jewish person? And a little girl raises her hand, 10 year old girl. And they said, young lady, when have you ever met a Jewish person other than us? And she said, my mother, she's Jewish. They said, your mother's Jewish? Who is she? Where is she? She said, she's right there. She's one of the teachers. So they walked over to the mother, introduced themselves. They took her aside and she shared her story. She grew up in California and left home and went north. Then she went further north. Then she really went north and ended up in Alaska in the middle of nowhere. Met a guy, fell in love, got married. So she said, I, I am Jewish. And I know that that means that my daughter is really Jewish, but we don't really have much Jewish content at all in our home. So I was just thinking while listening to you speak, maybe could you share something inspiring about Judaism with my daughter? You might be the only other two Jews that she'll ever meet in her whole life. So this is it. These rabbis have one chance, one shot to say something inspiring to this little girl before they leave. What are they going to tell her? And boom, the light bulb goes off. Maybe it was Ruach HaKodesh. And they walk back over to that little girl, take her aside, and they say, young lady, do you remember the story at the beginning of the Bible about how God created the world? Yes, we, we studied that. I, I read that before. You remember how he created the world in six days? Yes. And he rested on the seventh day? Yes. Well, we want to tell you something. There's a custom that's been around for many, many years, thousands of years. Jewish women, like your mother, and young girls, like you, every Friday, just before sundown, light candles, Shabbat candles, and then they begin the Sabbath. Now, young lady... Do you know where in the world it gets dark earliest? So she thinks for a second and says, yes, we studied that. I think it was, I think it's New Zealand or Australia. And they say, yes, that's right, in that area. In New Zealand and Australia, the Jewish women and girls light their Shabbat candles on Friday just before sundown and they begin their Sabbath. But God up in heaven does not begin his Sabbath because the rest of the Jewish women and girls across the world still have to light their candles. Young lady, do you know where it gets dark last in the world? And she smiles and says, of course. And they say, where? And she says, right here, where we are, in Alaska. And they say, that's right. Which means, if you and your mother start lighting Shabbat candles every Friday just before sundown, God, up in heaven, will wait to begin his Sabbath until you and your mother light those candles. First time I heard this story, I was floored. How did these guys come up with that? To figure out something not just inspiring, but something unique for that girl and her mother. Amazing. And then I realized, that's not the amazing thing about the story. The amazing thing is that every single one of us is that little girl. Because the day you were born is the day God decided that the world can no longer rotate and revolve without you in it. Never before in human history has there ever been somebody with your exact combination of talent and resources and personality nor will there ever be you, me, all of us, 
We're all one of a kind. There's only one of us, and each one of us has a mission. We were put here to share our unique combination of talent and resources and personality with the Jewish people and with the world. So if you've figured out already what your mission is and you're working on it, sharing your talents, call a vote, as we say. But if you haven't yet figured it out, what are you waiting for? Get cracking. Think about it. We are waiting to hear from you. Thank you, Mr. Rothenberg, Mr. Harry Rothenberg, Mr. Harry Rothenberg, for your tremendous words. Our next speaker is the founder of Shabbat.com, Rabbi Ben-Sion Klatsko, who has been doing so much for Klai Shaw for decades upon decades. Rabbi Ben-Sion, Rabbi Ben-Sion Klatsko. Hello, my name is Ben-Sion Klatsko, and I have a confession. I love our people. We're so underrated, so sneistic in our actions and yet, action speaks so much louder than words. COVID began. Schools had begun closing. And we received a phone call. Can you have your son's class over to continue learning Torah? They said, of course. If the schools are going to close, at least the Torah should continue. This class came over our home. And the sound of Torah filtered into the kitchen and through the bedrooms it was the most beautiful and holy thing. One morning, as the children were learning Torah, I went to shul and someone came running in and they said, Rabbi, come on quickly. Your house is burning down. And I came running home and the house was engulfed in flames, smoke pouring out the windows. The fire department came and put out the fire, but not before major damage had been done. Later on, I found out that as the fire that started in the basement began to stretch upwards towards the next floors, the children went running out of the house. And the Rebbe, who had enjoyed so much teaching Torah in our house, did a head count. How many are there? And there were 22 kids in our driveway, but there were 24 children in the class and the Rebbe began to panic. And the Rebbe said, where are the last two children? Are two children in the flames? Chaverim came running over. And Chaverim said, are you sure they came today? And the Rebbe said, I'm not sure. We didn't do a head count yet. So Chaverim went to the houses of these two boys and discovered that neither of the boys had come to school that day. And as we stood outside in the driveway watching our house burn, we made a circle. And we sang Tov Lahodos Lashem Ulazamar Lashimcha Elyon. Because that's what a Yid does. We say, Hashem, we love you through the good and through what seems like bad that we know is really good. Again, the community with their loving embrace, not just Chaverim coming to the rescue, but neighbors and friends and even strangers. We went to our in laws and the next night, the community surprised us and they brought over kugel and cholent and yabchik and musical instruments and they said, let's make the Klatsko family happy. And they made a suda for us. They said, we miss you. Amazing community. My wife was concerned maybe the children would be traumatized, the children who went running out. So the next day, my wife ordered cupcakes, and each cupcake said on top, thank you, Hashem. And she delivered the cupcakes 
to the class and the class all sang together, thank you, Hashem. We survived, we're alive, thank you, Hashem. Mika Amcha Yisrael, Chaveirim, Asuuda, thank you, Hashem. But it continued. You see, we didn't have a home. We were stuck. And so a man calls us up and he says, you know, I have an extra home in Muncie. It's my summer home. Why doesn't your family move into that home? We didn't need a second invitation that night. We all went moving into that house, a beautiful house. And it allowed us to settle in. One kindness after the next. The community taking care of Jewish people, whether they knew them or not, in a sneistic way, in an understated way. Not tooting their own horn, but saying, we're going to be there for you. There's no one like the Jewish people. And the story has an amazing, amazing uh, ending. Not actually an ending yet, but something amazing happened. You see this Rebbe, who was so panicked after teaching Torah in our house and then standing on the driveway, noticing that children were missing. This Rebbe had a nephew. And this nephew was a top boy. And this nephew was starting to date. And he had a long list of young ladies, each one uh, very accomplished, snuot, wonderful families, balimidot, everything that you could want. And yet, this young man chose our daughter to date first. Why? Because this young man's uncle said, I was there at the time of the fire. I saw the family, the way they were noheg, the way they were treated and the way they treated others, singing Tov Lahodos, inviting children in to learn Torah. That's the family to make a shidduch with. And our daughter and this young man, they went out, they dated, and Baruch Hashem, they got engaged. And they will be getting married to Hashem shortly. What a community. From supporting to giving the house to making a seuda to eventually recognizing that this family needs a lift to a shidduch happening with the Rebbe's nephew. Whenever we hear something negative about our community, we should be skeptical. We must be skeptical. Not that we're perfect. No one is. Mashiach's not here. But we are far, far better than the world recognizes. We'll never get the credit for it, but Hashem does give us the credit for it. So when we hear negativity about the Jewish people, say, I'm not listening. I don't want to hear. I don't want to hear Lashon Hara about us, and I don't want to hear Motsi Shemra. And the Jewish people have a chazaka in 2,000 years of this, what seems like a never-ending exile, in 2,000 years of Bikr Cholim and Achnasas Kala and Levayas Hameis and Gemilus Chasadim, there's no one like us, Mika Amcha Yisrael. You should be proud to be a Yid. Thank you so much. Thank you, Rabbi Klatsko, for your tremendous words. Our next speaker is Rabbi Daniel Koren. Rabbi Koren is from Munsing. He's, he's, he's one of the rabbis at, at Base Medjur Orchaim in, um, in Munsi. It's an honor to call upon Rabbi Koren. Everyone has their favorite inspirational stories. I want to share with you two stories, which I'll break up into two videos. And they're both actually stories that I heard personally from the person themselves who doesn't want to go named. And they both happened on the Muncie Trails. 
Muncie trails is, those that don't know, is the buses that go from Muncie to Bar Park, Bar Park to Muncie to Manhattan. They're very special. They're known also for the minions that are that um, that are davened on these buses, and also the famous mechitza. I want to tell you two stories that I heard clearly shown from the person themselves. And I think the common denominator is that siyata dishmaya. Sometimes you see things that almost call out, Rabbi Hashem is watching us, he's guiding us. Here the past year of Corona, so much death, so much pain, heart-wrenching stories, and at the same time, so much incredible chizuk, so many incredible stories, people that left the world came back. Mamish so ashkachas Hashem. And I think that's all Rabbi Hashem's chesed to open our eyes. So here's one story. Story number one. This Yid lives in Monsi. This goes back quite a few years. So he told me that he was davening in Eitz. He got up to daven Eitz. That's a beautiful Eitz minion. That's a great minion. Anyway, he's about to put on tefillin. As he's about to put on tefillin, three Russian Jews, you know, show up. And they're a little bit known already. They go around from one shul to the next. And they ask for stock a charity. Anyway, sometimes you give, sometimes you have a Yitz. Oh, you don't want to give. Anyway, he decided, you know what? He's going to reach out. He's going to schmooze with the guy. Schmooze is one guy. The guy says, you know, what's your name? Shlema Label, very Jewish name. You know, sometimes you're not even sure that they're even Jewish. Anyway, the guy sounded very Jewish. He said, you know what? I'm going to give you $5 if you put on tefillin today. So instead of putting his own tefillin, he puts on uh, tefillin on this guy. He's full happy. He gives him the $5. Beautiful. Okay. Nice way to start the day. The rest of the day went like this. He had an appointment in Bar Parks. So he got on the Muncie Trails. He goes on the Muncie Trails. And, you know, the Muncie Trails has another big benefit. Air conditioning is really powerful. So he's lying down on the Muncie Trails. It's actually a school on Muncie Trails to fall asleep. You need a good sleep? He'll be out in a second. He gets on the bus. A few seconds later, he's out. It's out cold. He gets to Bar Park, and um, he gets up. And as he's getting up, he notices that his arm is just hanging down. It's just not moving. Mom is dead. So he thought, you know, normally it happens. You have that, you fall asleep on your leg, on your arm. So he thinks he's going to come back anyway. He can't even put his hand in the pocket to get anything, his phone, whatever it is. But he gets off, and he goes to his appointment. At his appointment, he's speaking to the person that he's having an appointment with, a therapist of some thought, and he tells him, and the guy says, yeah, you're, you're, what's wrong with your hand? He says, I don't know, it's not waking up. And you know what happens is, psychologically, he gets all nervous, maybe who knows what he's having, and maybe it's a stroke, and he gets so nervous. So it's in Bar Park. The guy tells him, just go to my mountain, emergency room. He goes to my mountain, and they look at his arm, and they basically figure out exactly what he's speaking about, and they say, listen, doesn't look good. Looks possibly like a stroke, who knows? So they tell him, listen, wait here. Now you know the emergency room could be, happened to be, was backed up and packed and so many people. And finally, finally, they bring him in and they don't know. It's a mystery. They couldn't figure it out. So they finally put him through an MRI and and, and, and they're still, they're, they're baffled, baffled. The doctors are walking in trying to see what's going on. And, they, and as this person is experiencing all this, he tells me, he says, you know, the more psychologically, I thought something wrong, I thought I was going to die. I picked up my phone. I called my Rebbe. My Rebbe was the first one I called. Of course, he called his wife also and said, you know, I'm in the hospital, but I should be okay. Everything's going to be all right. He calls the Rebbe. He says, Rebbe, I, don't, I, I never have cautious. I have one question, one question that seems so strange to me. Here's my right arm. My right arm is dead. I'm hopefully going to come out of here. 
But how can it be this morning? And he starts telling his Rebbe the story, how we put on Tefillin on this Russian guy. He says, how can it be? I put on Tefillin on this Yid. Mida Kanegan Mida. How is it possible that that day I'm going to lose the ability tomorrow to be able to put on Tefillin? Impossible. The Rebbe, who was a great God, said, I don't know. <laughs> That's it. Anyway, a few minutes later, Pitom, doctor comes in and says, oh, we know what you have. It's called Saturday night, um, I forgot what exactly, it's, it's called uh, palsy, which basically means someone gets drunk, they fall asleep, it hits the nerve, you'll be okay, you're out of here. Be okay really means I could take months of therapy, but usually a person recovers. He goes, it's about 1 a.m., he goes to Shomer Shabbos, luckily there's a last guy, Ashgacha, takes him to Muncie, gets home. He doesn't know what to do. He tells his wife the whole story. And he tells his wife, I can't believe it. How is it possible that I'm not going to be able to put on the film? And his wife said, just go to sleep. We'll see what happens tomorrow. Why are you thinking about that now? Thank God you're able to be home. Anyway, in the middle of the night, at 2 a.m., he wakes up and he suddenly sees that one of his fingers is moving. He's like, well, he wakes his wife. I was like, why are you waking me up now? Let's go back to sleep. Anyway, he goes up. Right before Nate's, he notices two, his thumb and this finger are actually working. Everything else wasn't working. These two fingers. He was able to get in the car, drive to the shore, put on film. It took him 15 minutes, but he was able to. And he said the only reason why he knew, because for the next three months afterwards, nothing was working until he did all the therapy. The bunch said, you take care of my kids. I'll take care of them. You put on, you put on film on a yid. You put on your own film. Thank you, Rabbi Koran, for your words of inspiration. Our next speaker is Rabbi Hanan Gordon from Los Angeles, a tremendous um, speaker, rabbi, lecturer, is our honor to call upon Rabbi Gordon. Firstly, I want to give a short shout-out. I want to give a short shout-out to uh, Daniel Aguilar and the concept of stories uh, to inspire, because stories are a medium that transcend all intellect, all cultures, and really hit the heart. So I want to share a story that happened many years ago. I'll take you back to 1997, uh, back to my alma mater, back at uh, Harvard Law School, representing uh, the Orthodox denomination. I believe it was myself, Rabbi Edelstein, uh, Dick Horowitz, and Rabbi Pesach Lerner, the uh, heads of the Reform, conservative. And the issue at hand was, who is a Jew? the Ne'aman Commission. And as we come to the end of the discussion, at the end of the debate, a number of folks are filing by the front where the panel was seated. So I noticed out of the corner of my eye, a young lady sort of walking by. She looked, she looked a little upset. She looked a bit stressed out. And as she came over to where myself and Richard Horowitz were, were sitting, uh, she happened to make a comment that in the weeks ahead, she was planning on coming to California. And as, you know, a knee-jerk reaction, like, like any of you out there, I made the comment that, you know, when you're in California, please reach out. We'll make sure that you have a place for Shabbos. Uh, we'll make sure that you're taken care of. I don't think it was that much more than those comments. Uh, not my usual brilliant uh, sagacity. And that was the whole story. Uh, I want to say 10 years later, uh, I'm speaking at uh, the Gateways, uh, Gateways Pesach program. We're sharing a, a private a dining uh, room with the Tats family, Rabbi Akiva Tats and uh, and his family. And I remember that Rabbi Tats came down the stairs and said, Hanan, 
you know, there's a, there's a lady that wants to uh, join us for one of the meals. You know, is that okay? And obviously I demanded a few thousand dollars, but um, I then went into, into the room and noticed this young lady who was clearly in modest clothing, was clearly, you know, a decked up as a t very typical uh, Orthodox Jewish lady. And there was something familiar about, about, about this woman. She broke the ice and said, weren't you the person 10 years earlier back at Harvard? I'd walk by, you invited me. What she then went on to tell me was she was going through some terrible, uh, very, very tough personal uh, crisis in her life. And apparently the warmth and the hospitality, you know, just inviting someone for Shabbos was so jolting, was so, I guess, uh, different to the way other folks uh, had had handled whatever, whatever the interaction was, that that was the catalyst to her starting to explore her Yiddishkeit, uh, which led her eventually to Yerushalayim, and obviously she was Chayza uh, Betshuva. I think for us, we live in a dark world. We live in an eye world, iTunes, iTablet. People are so self uh, self focused that a caring word. Uh, the, the the fact that there's someone out there that shows that you're not alone has such a profound effect uh, in this generation that it doesn't take a lot. We're in the post-pandemic, hopefully, period where just a little word, uh, a smile can make such a difference uh, in people's lives. And uh, perhaps you're maybe uh, only a one person in, in this world, but I guarantee you each and every one of you can be the world to at least one person. Gordy, for your words of inspiration, next speaker is Rabbi Maimon Elbaz. Rabbi Elbaz has so many shirim on Torah anytime, on so many different subjects, and he has so many shirim, and he's really educating our children. He has so many shirim on, on Torah anytime, specifically made for children, and it's unbelievable. Rabbi Elbaz, if you could please inspire us tonight. My good friend, Daniel Aguilar, gave me the zechus to say a five-minute story for his um, organization, which is Stories to Inspire. Uh, it's unbelievable what he's doing. He's like, he's like gathering uh, like a magnet, you know, pulling all the great speakers and storytellers and sharing their insights and uh, wisdom with Klai Yisrael. I hope one day all of those audio and video stories will be a big set of uh, books so that any speaker will be able to find a story instantly. Uh, till then, they have to go searching on their own, many different places to find a great story, and then they also have to go online to Stories to Inspire and see what Daniel Aguilar has available. Okay, here's the story that I think is one of my favorites. And uh, I was witness to a good part of this story. My father, Allah HaShalom, loved the Torah. <laughs> that was pretty obvious. He raised us in a Torah community called Tal's Yeshiva in Cleveland, and whoever had the privilege of visiting the Smakom Torah would realize it's like a, like a, like a once in a, in a million place, because uh, it's not so often where you could have an oasis away from society. It's all kolel people, Tamid Chachamim, B'nai Torah, Bachrim. In one enclosed area, it's really incredible. Uh, I would call it a Gan Eden on earth for those who appreciate Torah. They can learn undisturbed 
and unaffiliated from the Geisha world. So my father had many shops in Tal Yeshiva. He had a carpenter shop where he would make shtenders and bookcases. After all, every one of the yeshiva towels has a shtender to daven from and to learn with. Everyone has a bookcase to put their svarim collection. And my father had a barber shop. He had to give haircuts to all the rabbis, all the, all the children, all the, 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 the bachrim. And he had a candy shop where he had to stock up yummy food, snacks. Uh, so a boy who misses home and really wants to go home will go to the candy store, have some nice chocolate banana cake, uh, enjoy some other pastries that were delicious, like the famous Laxmandel cream donuts that just make your mouth water when you think of them, or their double chocolate chip cookies, uh, chocolate cookies, or double cookies that were just unbelievable. <laughs> anyway, so... My father had a practice that if there wasn't customers coming, he would open up a safer and learn. And I remember when I would be learning with my father on occasion, I always had to play with something in my hand. I was a real fidgeter. And he would criticize me. He would basically say, you know, is your mind on the Torah? Is your mind on the thing you're holding in your hand? Sometimes it was even an apple rolling it across the table. And I would have to snap out of it and try to focus. But my father, whenever he did not have a customer, whether it was at the carpenter store, the barber shop, or the candy store, he would be saying either Mishnayis by heart, or he would be learning a Sefer, Aruch HaShulchan, or another Sefer. And to me, that was one of the most inspiring things. One day, it's a true story, one day, my father, of less memory, had a game. He played with me and my sister Dora, that he would be driving his car, and if he was driving and he wanted to concentrate on the road, of course, but he would also want to learn Torah, as it says, So he would drive his car, and as he was driving, he would be saying Mishnahos by heart, and he made a game with me and my sister, that if you correct me on a mistake, you're looking in the book, if you catch me on a mistake in the Mishnah that I'm saying by heart, I'll give you a dollar. And I remember he used to rattle off Mishnai Shabbos and, and Chulin or Ervin or whatever. It's amazing. It's amazing. I hope it's not a lost art. But anyway, here comes the main thrust of the story. That was a little introduction. My father was driving and he was going to the Schlacht house. And it was snowing. And at that time, my father was having difficulty in his vision because of uh, diabetes, low alenu. And what he did is he asked someone else to drive. So I think it was Moshe Wolf was driving the car, and it was snowy, it was a, a snowstorm. So the man turns to my father and says, Rabbi Avram, why are we driving to the Schlacht house to shech the cows and the bulls? It's snowing. The, the cows are not even going to get there in this weather. Look how many feet of snow are outside. We're driving and, we, you know, it's hard to even see. And my father told him, go, go, we have to go. And then finally, my father tells him, okay, turn now. And the guy's like, where am I turning? My father says, turn. And the guy starts turning slowly, and he sees the road. So he says to my father, I thought you said you couldn't see so well. How did you see that street? How did you know that was the exit to take to the schlacht house, to the slaughterhouse? And my father answered humbly, I really didn't know but from where the street was, from the snow blocking. But I know that when I travel to the Beis Hashchita, I always say Mesachta Chulim by heart. 
And when I get to the certain parak, I think it was the seventh parak, I'm always turning. And that's how I knew to turn. Now, <laughs> that's a big lesson. An Avasa Torah, Hasmada Torah, and perseverance. How many times does a person give up and say, oh, it's too hard to learn? But my father showed, just keep on going. Hey, Rabbi Abba is powerful. <laughs> I'm speechless. Um, our next speaker is all the way from Canada, Rabbi Tzvi Sittner, who's such a tremendous rabbi. Um, he does so much work, so much tremendous work, um, working very um, w- w- uh, for for so many different organizations, and really is one of the is one is is is, is, is he shines his light every day for Klai Yisrael. Rabbi Sittner. Okay, so first of all, a big yeshikot to stories to inspire to Daniel Aguilar for the incredible chizuk and inspiration he brings to Klal Yisrael. Yeshikot and keep it up. So my favorite story. My favorite story is um, every year I have this chus of going to Eretz Yisrael and being on this Kiruv trip. There's about 200 guys led by Charlie Harari, Momentum. And although it's a large trip with so many guys, they try to still keep it intimate so that on every bus... They have a bus leader, and the bus leader's job is to create the achdus and to bring everybody together and to break down all the walls from all the different people. So my job was to be bus leader on this, this one bus. We have about 50 guys from different cities, different places. And every year I get up on the bus and the microphone and I say, guys, we're coming here from different parts of the world and different backgrounds. Let's break down the walls between us. Let's create some actors. Come up on the microphone. Tell us who you are. Tell us where you're from. Tell us why you're here in Eretz Yisrael. And every single year, it's so inspiring. These guys get up on the microphone and they cry and they share their stories. It's very meaningful, very emotional. But one year, I get up on the microphone and I said, guys, come on, let's go share your stories one by one. Tell us your story. Quiet. I said, one more time, guys, let's go. Let's one by one. Who wants to be first? Quiet. What's going on over here? It turns out the majority of the bus was Spanish speaking. They didn't even understand what I was saying. So I thought to myself, oh my gosh, what are we going to do here? We've got like, you know, small group from the US, small group from Toronto, and a lot of Spanish speakers. We got to break down these walls. We got to bring everybody together. So at one point, I turned to one of the guys on the bus in front of everybody. I said, what's your name? He says, Pablo. He spoke a little bit of English. He says, Pablo. I said, Pablo. You know, where are you from? He said, Mexico. I said, okay, you're from Mexico. I said, I'm from Toronto. How tall are you? He's six foot five. I'm five foot two. He's Sephardi. I'm Ashkenazi. He's dark. I'm, I'm light. He eats burritos. I eat gefilte fish. You know, he plays soccer. I learn Chumash. We're like opposites, like nothing in common between the two of us. And I turned to the guy in front of everybody. I said, where's your grandmother from? He says, Poland. I said, mine too. Where in Poland? He said, Ludge. I said, mine too. I looked at the guy and I said, you know, we're very, very different. But it could be that our grandmothers were neighbors in Ludge, cooking gefilte fish and speaking Yiddish together. And the only difference between you and me is which boat our grandmothers got on. I said, we're the same family. Your grandmother's boat landed somewhere near Mexico. My grandmother's boat landed in Ellis Island. And right after that, one by one, they got up on the microphone and they started sharing their stories. And even though they were speaking in Spanish, I'll never forget seeing the guys who didn't understand a word crying along with them and vice versa. A couple days later, it's Friday night, we're at the Kotel. We have this beautiful, beautiful davening. We have a beautiful meal outside uh, at the Aish World Center. And then I tell the guys after we finish, we're going to walk to Mehe Sha'arim now. It's a Hasidic neighborhood. We're going to see a Hasidic dish. They were so excited. So 11, 12 o'clock at night, we start walking to the streets of Mehe Sha'arim. It's dark. We're in the back alleys. And at one point we hear singing. So I said to the guys, wait, stop, stop. They said, what? 
I said, you hear that? They said, yeah. I said, that's what happens on a Friday night in our homes. We sing. I said, and I want to tell you something else. If I were to knock on their door, they would open the door and invite us in. They would let us come in. They said, really? I said, yeah. The Toronto guys were like, no, that's so rude. And the Spanish guys were like, do it, do it, do it. I said, okay, I got to take the challenge. So I walk up to this door. I knock on the door. Hasidish boy answers the door. Long payas. Can I help you? I said, can I? And I start telling him the story. Can we come in? We want to hear the singing. He closes the door. A minute later, the door opens. He says, the tata says you can come in. So I tell the guys, come on, guys, let's go. 25 of us, we pack into this little apartment in Meisharim. And as soon as I walked in, I look at the head of the table. I knew we were, this was not just a simple house. Long white beard, long white payas, gold bekashan, estrimal, surrounded around the table by all his sons and son-in-laws and his, his, his students. And it was the Dayan of Toldas Aaron. Okay, this was the, whose house we walked into. And he said, so you want us to sing? We said, please, we would love it. And he starts to sing together with all the Hasidim. Animamin, 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 I behemuna shelehema, I bevias hamoshiach. And he sings again and again and again, they keep singing it. Eventually it ends. It was beautiful. We leave the apartment, we go out onto the street of Meisharim. And the guys look at me, I said, Do you realize what happened? They said, no, we have no idea what happened. I said, I'll tell you. It's normal on a Friday night to sing zmiros, to sing songs. I said, but not that song and not that tune. They said, why? What's that song? What's that tune? I told them what the words animamin meant, b'vias ha-mashiach. I said, but that tune is a powerful tune. They said, what's the story? I said, the story goes that there was a, a chassid who was a mazritzer chassid by the name of Rabbi Azriel David Fastag. And he was, a, he was a, a cantor. He was a chazan. And he was being deported to one of, the, uh, one of the concentration camps. And he's in the cattle car, packed in with all these Jews. And on the way to this concentration camp, the story goes that he composed that tune in this cattle car. And he started singing, And all the Jews in the cattle car started singing together, And they all start singing. And the story goes that he said, whoever can get this song to the Rebbe, to the Masjid Rebbe, I'll give them half my Olam Haba, half my heavenly reward, I told them. So the story said goes that two boys jumped out. They were able to jump out of a, a panel from the roof of this cattle car. They jumped out. One of them died on the fall. The other one survived. And he got the song to the Rebbe. And the Rebbe said, to this song, they went to the concentration camps. And to this song, we will welcome Mashiach. So I'm standing there in Meisharim telling them this story. And I turned to the guys. And I said, I don't know. But maybe the message in him choosing this tune, maybe the message for us, is that here he is, he's sitting here, a chassid from Meishar, a Hasidic guy, 
here you guys are from, 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 from Mexico. Here we are from Toronto in the U.S. I said, we're such a mixed group. And we seem like we're all so different. But perhaps the message to all of us is that we all come back to one point. We all come back to the same point. Yes, we may have ended up on different boats. Yes, we may look different. Sephardi, Ashkenazi, Hasidish, Yeshivish. Yes, we may be divided in so many parts. But really, we stood there. Like we stood at Mount Sinai, right? We were one family. Like one person with one heart. And that's what the Jewish people are. We are one person with one heart. We are one family. Everybody sitting there for your tremendous words, uplifting words, uh, that, that story, that lesson. We will remember it forever. Rabbi, uh, our next speaker is Rabbi Eliezer, uh, Rabbi Elazar Meisels. Let me share with you a wonderful story. A story that took place with the twin daughters of a very close family friend. For the sake of this story, we'll call them Rachel and Leah. Having twins is always a challenge. Twin girls is an even greater challenge. And finding the funds to send both of them to seminary when they get older is an even bigger challenge. And that was the case when the time came to send Rachel and Leah off to seminary in Israel. Baruch Hashem, they got into the one that they dreamed of. But how are we paying for this? And this wasn't an easy challenge to overcome. But Baruch Hashem, with great siyata dishmaya, a lot of tefillas, help, somehow the funds were found to pay for seminary and to buy two round-trip tickets so that both of them could go off and eventually at the end of the year come back. And off they went, happy as a lark. Very, very, very excited. They went, settled in nicely, happy, enjoying, friends, learning. Somewhere deep in her heart, their mother had a worry. She was not worried about their academics. Two great students, they would do fine. She didn't worry about them socially. Well-adjusted, they could handle it. Socially, perfect. She didn't worry about them being homesick. These were two young ladies who'd been away before. They wanted to be where they were. It was going to be fine. What did she worry about? She worried about what would happen come Pesach. Pesach, that time of year when every parent who has a young lady in seminary wonders, do we bring her home? Do we keep her there? Can we bring her home? Do we have the funds? Is it possible? Does she want to come home? Well, in this case, she knew both of them would much rather be home than anywhere else. Pesach in her home was a beautiful, indescribably beautiful experience. And her daughters want to be home. She could barely find the funds to buy one set of round-trip tickets. Where is she going to find the funds to buy another set of round-trip tickets. And she and her husband discussed this at length many, many times. She expressed to him how much it would mean to her if she could bring them home, but she knew the money just wasn't there. She wasn't going to be able to do it. Maybe they could do one, but they certainly couldn't bring both, and she's not going to bring one and not the other. That wasn't an option. And at least if she can't bring them both home, they'll have each other. She had a conversation with them by phone. 
And she explained to them why it was really impossible, how much she'd love to bring them home, but how impossible that would be. And two well-raised young ladies told their mother, Ma, it's fine. We get it. We understand. We know it's not possible. We didn't even think that you might be able to do it. We're so grateful that you even thought that maybe you should. But of course you can't. And we're so happy that we're here. And we're doing great. And we love it in Eretz Yisrael. We're going to be great. We're going to enjoy Pesach in Eretz Yisrael. It's going to be amazing. You know, a mother has that deeper understanding. A mother can, can detect things that others can't. She heard in their voice that longing, if only they could come home. She knew how desperately they wanted to be at their father's Seder. She knew how much it would mean to them if they could have the Pesach that they were raised with. But reality is reality. And she was staring it in the face. There wasn't any money. And she couldn't do it. And that was the end of that. Conversation closed. And they go about their lives. One day, however, Leah privately picks up the phone, calls her mother and says, Ma, I want to talk to you about coming home for Pesach. Leah, I told you, we can't. I wish I could. I can't. No, Ma, I know that you don't think that you can bring one and not the other, but Ma, I don't think that's true. I think you can. Leah, I can't. What am I going to do? I'm going to bring you in, and I won't bring Rachel in. I can't do that. Leah, it's not possible. You'll be fine. You and Rachel have a Ma, that's not what I'm saying. Ma, that's not what I'm talking about. So what are you telling me? Ma, listen to me. I'm fine. I can be here. I have my friends. I'm okay. Rachel can be here too. But Ma, I know how much it would mean to her to be home. I know how much... She would love to go home. She won't dare ask for it because she knows how hard it would be for me without her. But Mom, I'm going to be fine. And I want her to have it. And why should she not have it if I don't mind? Leah, nothing to talk about. I'm not bringing one without the other. Tati and I discussed it. Ma, I'm asking you to reconsider. Talk to Tati. Tell him I said I don't mind. Tell him I said that it would make me happy if Rachel went home for Yom Tif. I can do it. And they talked for a long time. And she couldn't believe Leah's selflessness, Leah's gutzkeit, Leah's kind, understanding nature, what she would give up, her twin sister, not to be with her. And Eretz Yisrael for Yom Tif, the first time they'd ever not be home for Yom Tif, and she'd tell her sister, you go home and I'll stay back. Ultimately, Leah prevailed. And Rachel gratefully accepted the offer. After making sure that Leah really, truly, sincerely meant it. Rachel gratefully accepted it. And off she went. And now Leah is left in Eretz Yisrael. And that year, there really weren't very many young ladies. Very few of the girls in the seminary stayed back with her. And it was a bit lonely. In fact, it was more than a bit lonely. It was quite lonely. And it was a little hard. Leah is not the type to sit back and do nothing. She's not going to waste her time. If she can't be home helping, she found a local family. She found a local family, the Edelmans. And the Edelmans were so grateful for her offer of help. And off she went every single day. Came early. She cleaned. She cooked. Took care of the kids. And when she was done, she cleaned and cooked and took care of the kids some more. And just 
gave and gave and gave of herself. She got to know the Edelmans really, really well. And the Edelmans got to know her really, really well. And Mrs. Edelman could not stop thanking Hashem for this incredible gift that she got of this seminary girl who's helping her so much. And she also couldn't stop telling her mother back home in the States, Ma, this girl Leah, she is just something unbelievable. And every day she would tell her mother how Leah saved the day. And what an incredible gift. Rachel had an amazing yomtif at home. Leah did not have quite as amazing a yomtif away from home. It was actually quite hard. Rachel came back. Leah was so happy to see her. And Rachel was so grateful to Leah. Ultimately, Leah made a tremendous, tremendous sacrifice. She gave so much so that Rachel can have a beautiful, beautiful yomtif. That's a nice story. I think that's a beautiful story. And I'm almost tempted to stop right here. But I won't. I'll share with you one last detail that takes a nice story and turns it into something absolutely amazing. Mrs. Edelman just couldn't stop singing Leah's praises to her mother. And her mother is listening and she says, Wow, I have a nephew. He's a great, he's a wonderful, he's a top boy. And he deserves a top girl. And if half of what my daughter is telling me is true, this Leah is a top girl. She's something special. Let me see what I can do to see if I can get my nephew and her to see each other. And that's what she did. Leah got off the plane. And within a few days... She met this young man who would become her husband. And the two of them are building a beautiful, beautiful mishpacha today. Beautiful mishpacha. So often, we want to give, but we're afraid to give. Because if I give you what I have, I won't have it. And little do we realize that when we give... We are opening ourselves up to receive so much more than we've ever given. Yes, she gave away a friend. She gave away companionship for a few weeks, for a Pesach. In return, she got a friend, a best friend, a companion for life. Have a wonderful Wonderful. Chag Kosher B'Sameach. Rabbi Meisels, for your tremendous words, our last speaker for tonight is Rabbi Yossi Ben Susan. Rabbi Ben Susan has literally been inspiring so many, so many of us, and it's our great honor to call upon our final speaker for tonight, Rabbi Yossi Ben Susan. Hello, stories to inspire. So... The Cones had come to see me, it's about a year ago now. Not their real name. And we were discussing their adult son, Moshe, who was having a lot of difficulties in life. And he was getting distant from his parents because they really wanted something for him and he wasn't following the path that they had set out. So in the meeting, we spoke a lot about acceptance, about understanding, and 
we came up with a game plan, but to be honest with you, it was, it was a difficult one. Even I'll admit that. It was a hard game plan to follow. And it was going to cause them to change so much of what they've said and done till then. And they were nervous about it, understandably very nervous about it. We debated over the topic for a few minutes. It comes out, the cones left my office, and I never heard from them again. About a year later, I'm sitting in my office again, and I'm meeting with somebody for the second time. It was this guy's second time being there. So the first two meetings, it, it goes a little bit late. Sure enough, about halfway through, my, through the meeting, my phone starts to ring. And normally, actually, I don't even have my phone on me during a meeting, but this time I happened, I guess I forgot it in my pocket or Ramon Shalom left it in my pocket. And phone's ringing, phone's ringing. I put it aside, it does not stop. Sure enough, we end our meeting. I had a, even ended a couple minutes early because I thought maybe it was an emergency. I look at the phone and I realize that it's the cones from a year ago. Magically just decided to call me now. So I call them back right away. Mrs. Cohen says to me, I, I'm sorry, I called so many times. I said, is everything okay? She said, yeah, no, I'm sorry, I called so many times. But my husband insisted he has to speak to you right now. I said, okay. I get out, Mr. Cohn. And he says to me, Yossi, listen, I'm not saying it's been any easier, but we've tried everything. About a month ago, I said, forget it. I'm just going with what he said, and let's see what happens. And I'm seeing a little bit of improvement. I'm seeing a little bit of an improvement, seeing a little bit of something. He started to show an interest in starting to be a little bit more responsible with who he is, a little bit better, a little bit healthier. And I just want to say, I know there are a lot of people, I'm sure there are people, <laughs> he was right, that can't pay you. That can't afford to come meet with you. That, can't, that you can't give them sessions. That you don't have the time, and you know you 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 can't do everything. You know, volunteer. So, so I want to sponsor one of your clients. I want to sponsor one person that you meet with that can't afford to pay you. So I said, "Oh, it's amazing of you." And then all of a sudden, I realized what he said, and I started crying. I quickly, I, I made excuse. I hung up the phone, and at that point. It was only me and the Rabbi Shalom in the room. And I looked up and I said, here I was, Rabbi Shalom, thinking that I wasn't going to be the shaliach for these people. I just wasn't Zohar to be the shaliach. Here are these people thinking they're doing a big chesed. And here's you, Rabbi Shalom, running the world. Because the boy who just left the room, the boy whose second time it was being there, who just left the room when they were calling, happened to have been their son, Moshe, who right before leaving reminded me, Rabbi, I'm really, really sorry, but one day I'll be able to pay you for our meetings, but for right now, I have nothing and I can't afford it. The minute he left is the minute I got on the phone with them and they said, we would like to sponsor one of your clients. What they didn't realize is that client, that was their son. Their bunch of them runs the world. He's got it. He's got it. We think we're doing this big chesed. <laughs> we're saving ourselves. That's what we're doing. Thank you, Rabbi Ben Susan, for your tremendous story and insights. That was that will conclude tonight's very special event program called "My Favorite Stories to Inspire." But don't, but, but, 
But don't worry, this is only part one of this uh, of this amazing three-part event. The next two parts of the event will be the next uh, 